Uh, We're going to read from Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put all them away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you must, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I'm Charles McKnight, pastoral assistant here at Christ Central Church. And as always, it's my pleasure to bring you God's word this morning. Throwback photos. You ever had someone show you a long-forgotten photo of yourself from back in the day? A while ago, a childhood friend of mine apparently dipped into her archive and dusted off a Polaroid picture of me and some of our friends from middle school and decided to post it on Facebook. Now, when I saw it, there was obviously that initial shock of nostalgia. But once the nostalgia faded, one of the first things I thought was, what in the world was I wearing? Isn't it crazy to look back at all the crazy stuff we used to wear? And what makes it so crazy is that we actually thought that stuff looked good. We thought we looked great in those clothes. Could you imagine here in the year 2013, putting back on some of those outfits you used to wear? I'd feel probably so uncomfortable with the super duper baggy clothes I used to wear just a decade ago. For some of y'all, could you imagine walking around in that outfit from your 90s punk or goth phase? Imagine putting back on that bright colored windbreaker outfit or those acid wash jeans. For those of you all that are old enough, imagine putting back on that outfit from the disco 70s. Those high-waisted plaid and polyester bell bottoms and those platform shoes. Imagine putting those clothes back on today. For most of us, to wear those old clothes would be at least uncomfortable and probably somewhat embarrassing. And they may even be inappropriate now 
mainly because those clothes probably no longer fit you and the life you live now. Times have changed. You have changed. And therefore, so has what you wear. Our passage this morning teaches us that spiritually, we as believers have been radically changed. Christ has given us a new identity, a a, a new identity that no longer fits the wardrobe of our old actions, attitudes, and values. We have been made new, each and every believer in this theater this morning. Therefore, we must take off the old, ill-fitting garments of our old lives and put on the new, tailored outfits of the new humanity. In other words, we are new. So it's off with the old and on with the new. Now, the Apostle Paul, that former Jewish bounty hunter of Christian turned leader of the Christian movement, wrote this letter, Colossians, to some relatively new believers that were part of this church plant, actually, in uh, that area. And apparently, these new Christians were being influenced by some heretical teachings. Basically, they were being taught all this mixed up stuff and wacky stuff about Christ and the gospel. And so Paul hears about this, sits down and writes this letter to both refute this false teaching and to encourage these newbies in the faith to keep on keeping on towards greater spiritual maturity. And so like any good pastor, Paul begins his letter simply reminding the Colossians of the pure gospel reminding them that Christ alone is Lord of all and that God has worked through Christ to secure their redemption and open up reconciliation with God for anyone who puts their faith in Christ. Paul then moves on in this letter to shut down some of those false teachings that they were being exposed to and then proceeds in chapter 3 where our text comes from with an appeal to the Colossians to live their lives in a way that, that accords, that, that lines up with, that, that's consistent with the true gospel, that's consistent with their new identity in Christ. And so in the beginning of our text, he reminds the Colossians and us this morning that we have been made new, that we have entered into a new humanity. And he shows how this new identity has a past present and future dimension. In regards to the past, Paul tells us that we have been raised with Christ in verse 1. And in verse 3, he says that we have died. Obviously not physically, but spiritually we have died. And what he's saying is that if you are a believer, you have been connected with Christ. And and this connection, this, this union, this relationship allows you to claim as your own the victory Christ won over the power of sin and evil through his sinless life, death, and resurrection. This means that if you have experienced the dramatic permanent breakup, that that permanent divorce with the old order, it means that you are no longer under its control. You have been decisively set free from the chains of bondage of of sin and Satan and have been raised, resurrected to a radically new order, a new order where you have been saved from the punishment of eternal damnation and adopted as sons and daughters of the creator of the universe with all its benefits. And this, according to our text, is your new identity. This, brothers and sisters, is who you really 
are. Hear that. Because every day this world will try to convince you that you are something less than this. But this is the real you. You are not who you were before you experienced the Lord's amazing grace. You have been given a new spiritual DNA through what Christ has done in his redemptive work on your behalf. And that work, brothers and sisters, has already been accomplished once and for all in the past. And now in the present, the remainder of verse 3 tells us that our lives, our new resurrected lives are now today hidden in Christ, in God. I remember around Charlotte's, uh, one of Charlotte's birthdays, Charlotte, my wife Charlotte, I went to the store and I had purchased a card for her. And when I pulled back into our apartment complex, there was this bad rainstorm that had started between the time I left the drugstore and the time I actually got back home. And so I remember taking that card and, and tucking it in the waistband of my gym shorts for two reasons. One, so that it wouldn't get damaged from the rainstorm. And two, so that she wouldn't see it until the moment I had determined. And Paul is telling us that our new resurrected identities are like that birthday card tucked in my waistband. We as believers are tucked into Christ. And and, and being in Christ, Paul says this union, this union between us and Christ is in God. Because Christ himself, his being, his identity is within the Trinity. And what this hiddenness means for us is that like that birthday card, our new lives, our resurrected lives, our radically new identity is completely protected from the rainstorms of evil and demonic activity that seek to rob us of our salvation. Satan and the enemy will not ultimately succeed in that task. And this means, like one of my favorite hymns says, that no power of hell nor scheme of man could ever, ever pluck us from his hand. Because our new life, our salvation is totally secure, indestructible, and everlasting in Christ. But not only does hidden in Christ mean our new identity is divinely protected. It also means like that birthday card, our resurrected identities have not yet been fully disclosed. Understand your new identity is real, but it won't be revealed in its fullness until that final moment that the Lord has determined. Like a woman in her very first weeks of pregnancy, The miracle of life has been created in her room. It's real, but it doesn't yet show to others. However, at the appointed time, that hidden miracle will finally be undeniably revealed when she gives birth. And so is the case with our new identities. And so Paul tells us in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him. In glory. On that great and final day, when Christ finally appears, when his true identity, when his glory and lordship is completely unveiled and made clear and plain to all creation, Paul tells us that we also will be in that moment transformed, complete, total, 
perfect into the manifestation of our true identity. And at that moment, no one will be able to deny who we really are in Christ. But for now, it remains hidden. Brothers and sisters, these first four verses remind us that we have a new identity that rests on the foundation of what Christ has done, has accomplished for us in the past, that is hidden in the present and will be completely revealed one glorious day in the future. We are new. And because we are new, Paul tells us that our focus must be changed accordingly. He exhorts us in verse 2 to set our minds. That means our our focus and, and our affection on the things that are above. And by that, he means on Christ and the values of his kingdom and not on the things that are on the earth, which is anything less than Christ and the values of his kingdom. And it's this radical shift in focus that will usher in a radical shift in the way we live our lives. Now, we should note that what Paul has just given us is what grammarians and theologians call the indicative. In Scripture, the indicative informs us of an accomplished fact. It it tells us of what's already taken place. It declares who you are in Christ. And the indicative is followed by imperatives, which are just commands or directions for how we are to live in light of who we are in Christ. Now, understand In the Christian life, the indicative always comes before the imperative and never the other way around. It's always God acting first. It's always God electing, God saving, God redeeming. And then the expectation for us to act accordingly by his transforming grace and his transforming power. And so Paul, having provided us the indicative, having reminded us of who we are in Christ, now issues the imperative to be new. Be who you really are, to act like your true selves. And to do so requires a wardrobe change. Paul tells us that we must first take off those throwback clothes that no longer fit our new identity and put on the new clothes that fit who we are in Christ. So in verses 5 through 9, Paul first gives a description of what the old clothes look like. Look back with me at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Now, we don't have time this morning to to dissect each of these characteristics, But I do want us to notice how most of the vices Paul focuses on in verses 5 and 8 deal with aspects of sexual sin and sins of anger. 
Now, when I first noticed this, it wasn't immediately clear to me why Paul would focus so heavily on these two sin categories. I was actually hanging out with Mark Gregory while I was studying this text, and I remember thinking out loud, why, why sins of anger? Why, why focus so heavily on sexual sins? But no sooner than the words came out of my mouth, it became clear. It hit me that in my own Christian journey, And in the Christian journeys of the vast majority of believers, I know many in this room that the dirty garments of sinful anger and and sexual sin are probably the two clothing items that most often find their way from our old wardrobe back into our closet. Now, in regards to sexual sin, please understand, Paul is definitely not saying sexual appetites are evil. Amen. Scripture teaches all over the place that we were created sexual beings and that the fulfillment of sexual desire is a blessing from the Lord. But just like every blessing from the Lord, he gives us parameters. He gives us guardrails so that we can enjoy them rightly. And so Paul is speaking directly to uncontrolled, misdirected, and out-of-bounds sexual desires and actions. See, the Colossian culture was actually much like our own. Whereas most likely it was only the Jews and Christians that were the folks in their culture that believed that sexual drives were designed by God to be used only in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And trust, they were ridiculed for their narrow views just like we are. To add, if you remember, these were new believers. So many had spent their entire lives wearing the old wardrobe, thinking and acting sexually in the same ways everyone else around them did. And every day, they, like us, were bombarded with influences and opportunities that would tempt them to put back on those old, ill-fitting clothes. But Paul reminds them and reminds us this morning that we are new We are in Christ, and so those old clothes no longer fit and must be taken off. So what does that mean? It means that sleeping around, yes, even sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance doesn't fit anymore. It has to come off. Extramarital affairs don't fit. They have to come off. Homosexual practices or pornography consumption has to come off. Lustful glances and fantasies have to come off. And and using your body to manipulate, bribe, or punish has to come off because we have been made new. And those old clothes just won't do. In addition, Paul tells us that the old garments of sinful anger and its manifestations have to also come off. Again, Paul is not outright forbidding believers from getting angry. Scripture teaches elsewhere that we ought to be angry at those things that make the Lord angry. We ought to be angry at injustice and evil and sin. You ought to get angry when you see people mistreated and walked over and looked over. You ought to get angry at satanic and demonic influences in this world. And you ought to get angry not only with your own sin, but also with the sins committed against you. Paul is not condemning this type of anger. But what he is telling us is that festering anger, anger that seeks to divide rather than reconcile, the type of anger that destroys communities and relationships are old garments that no longer fit. So walking around 
bitter and belligerent at home or irritable and mean at work or school doesn't fit anymore. It has to come off. Losing your temper with your spouse or your kids doesn't fit. It has to come off. Spiteful, underhanded comments or or purposely throwing dirt on someone else's reputation has to come off. And all the destructive, dishonest, disrespecting, and dehumanizing speech that we make has to come off. Because again, brothers and sisters, Christ has made us new. So those old clothes just won't do. The other day, I was at the church office. I didn't even ask John about this. I hope he's okay with me telling the story. The other day, I was at the church office, and I was with John Wells, uh, director of church operations here. And he started doing something like, like this with his shirt. And I looked over to him. I was like, man, what's wrong with you? I thought he had a bug in his shirt, or he was doing some new dance or something. I didn't know what he was doing. And what he said is that I can't stand this shirt. And I looked at him. The shirt looked fine. I didn't see what was wrong with it. And so I asked him why. And he said, because it's uncomfortable. It doesn't fit me right anymore. See, I was a different size when I first got this. And now it just doesn't feel right. Brothers and sisters, the old rags of of sexual sin and sins of anger or any other type of sinful behavior ought to be extremely uncomfortable to us. We ought to despise the ugly, ill-fitting clothes of sin. Understand, Paul is not telling us that Christians will never sin. We'd all be disqualified if that was the case. Amen? But what he's telling us is that we should be constantly taking off, putting to death, as, verse, as Paul says in verse 5, day after day, those old habits that creep into our resurrected lives. Brothers and sisters, we must never get comfortable with any type of sinful behavior in our lives. We must never make peace with sin. In this way, the Christian life is a violent life. For we must always be engaged in war against our old nature. Because you better believe sin and Satan is waging war against you. As one old school theologian put it, you must always be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And Christ has given us his spirit and his word and the sacraments and Christian community to fight and even win some battles against sin in this life and have hope in our losses knowing that one day when Christ returns or calls us home, the war will be over and we will stand eternally victorious against sin. I don't know what specific garments of the old nature you may still be wearing. I don't know exactly what sins or or addictions you, you have quit fighting or growing weary from fighting, but the Lord is telling you this morning to stay in the ring, to stay on the battlefield, and to rely on his grace and his power given through his spirit to go on for sin's jugular each and every day of this life, always with an eye towards that ultimate victory that has already been won for you.
as Paul teaches in verse 10, it's the Lord who is renewing us, recreating us, sanctifying us into the image of the creator, into Christ's likeness. It's the Lord who is tailor-fitting new garments for us that perfectly fit our new identity. And he's making these custom clothes for all those in his covenant community, all those connected with his church, all of us that are hidden in Christ. As he states in verse 11, look there. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. Brothers and sisters, regardless of your cultural, socioeconomic, educational, ethnic backgrounds, if you are in Christ, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. A custom-tailored outfit that fits your new resurrected life is here for you. And if you check the tag on this new tailored apparel, the brand reads, like Christ, handcrafted by his spirit. And so it's off with the old and on with the new. And the new garment is described in detail in verses 12 through 15. Look there with me. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also so you also must forgive. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Paul begins verse 12, once again, reminding us of the indicative lest we slip into some legalistic interpretation of these commands. He reminds us that God has already chosen us, that God has already made us holy, by that meaning set us apart, and that God has already placed his redeeming love on us. Therefore, we must respond by allowing the Holy Spirit to clothe us appropriately. And what we see in this text is that the tailored shirt of our new identity is made of compassion and has a collar of kindness and and buttons of humility, meekness and patience and, and sleeves of forbearance and forgiveness. And it's all stitched together, verse 14 tells us, with the silver thread of love. This is Christian clothing. This is the proper attire for the resurrected life. And notice how utterly communal in purpose and function this new garment is. It's almost like in the same way an Xbox controller really has no function and purpose outside of the actual game console, neither does our new garments all by themselves. Because understand, there can be no compassion unless we're in community with someone who's hurting. There can be no kindness or humility or meekness or patience or forgiveness where there are no relationships. Brothers and sisters, our individual resurrected lives 
are clothed so that, such that we can live in unity and harmony with others in Christ. This tailor shirt is given to us so that we, God's people, a bunch of mixed up eclectic folks like what's up here in Christ Central Church, can actually be able to do relationships rightly. And when there's a community of individuals, each draped in this Holy Spirit stitched attire, it will be, according to verse 15, a community characterized by peace, unity, and gratitude. And it's within this type of atmosphere that real, true corporate community worship happens. And so in verse 16, Paul gives us a snapshot, a look at what this uh, worship looks like with those that are gathered in the new humanity. Look back with me at verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What Paul is saying is that when we gather to worship together, not if we gather, Paul assumes that if you are part of the new humanity, you will be gathering and joining with others that are a part of the new humanity. He says, when this happens, let the word of Christ or the gospel message be central because this is the very message that reminds us of our new identity. The gospel is our reality check. It's, it's our mirror that reminds us of the indicative, who God is, what he's done, and who we are, and reminds us of the imperative, how we ought to live in light of that. And Paul says this message, the, the word of Christ, the, the gospel message of grace, should penetrate and saturate all of our teaching and all of our preaching. And our text tells us that the result will be an even greater outflow of thankfulness and gratitude, which should overflow in singing what Paul describes as psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So that means whether we're singing, come thou fount, or no, not one, or take over, or any other song we sing in worship, they should always point to Christ. And as Paul says, be sung out of an explosion of thankfulness in our hearts. And this Christ-centered, gratitude-driven corporate worship of members all clothed in the appropriate attire of the new humanity should overflow out of this place, out of this corporate gathering, and infect like a virus every square inch of our lives. And so Paul says in the last verse, 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything, everything, in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. He says, whatever you do, do everything in the name of Jesus. That this doesn't mean that you literally say in the name of Jesus after you do everything. You can't cuss somebody out and then say in the name of Jesus and that make it all right. It doesn't work like that. That's not what he means. What Paul is saying is that Everything we do at school, at work, at home, at play, everything we say to our parents, 
to our spouse, to our children, to the barista across the street at Smelly Cat should have the flavor, the, the aroma should be a reflection of the nature and character of Christ. In other words, in everything we do, we should be rocking Christ-like branded tailored clothing of the new humanity. And fittingly, in the last clause of our passage, Paul tells us that in everything we do, we should again be thankful, be grateful. We should give praise to the heavenly father for his scandalous love and grace towards us through Christ that has made us new. Brothers and sisters, you have been made new in Christ. So it's off with the old and on with the new garments, tailor-fitted for your new resurrected lives.